Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Continuation of session 19 of the series that we're busy exploring on a Friday evening at our School of Ministry, and I want to encourage you to be faithful to that forum. There's something powerful brewing. And I'm seeing the development within people's lives of such stature, such growth, such a presence of the Zoe life of God. Amen? And so we are going somewhere. So I want to encourage you to be diligent and to be faithful in that. Um, We're going to continue the theme that we started on Friday. The broad theme is the hearing with your spirit. The subcontext is, so the broad theme is the primacy of the word of the Lord. And the sub-theme is hearing with your spirit. Right? And we've been stressing the importance of hearing with your spirit and encoding spiritual words from the platform of your spirit and not from the fallen state of the mind of your soul. Right? And um, our recent focus has been on the carnal man. We've discussed the spiritual man. We've discussed the natural man. Now we're focusing on the carnal man. The Greek word is sarkikos, carnality is a reference to a person that is totally preoccupied with the, his own provision, his own protection, his own pleasure. And it alludes to the self-indulgent nature of the flesh. Its expressions are broad in the scripture. It doesn't only allude to fleshly sins, like sexually related sins. It also alludes to Infancy. Everyone say infancy. So spiritual infancy, where that is um, maintained as a preferred condition, as opposed to proceeding towards maturity. That's carnality. If you stay in a particular um, place of growth and you're not going anywhere, that's carnality. Right? So any place of stagnation in the spirit is carnality. Also, jealousy, covetousness, strife, and relational tension, all expressions of carnality. We also said uh, schismatic tribalism or sectarianism, where you get this affiliation to particular grace carriers to the point where that issue becomes divisive as to the broader um, oneness that is to develop within the body of Christ. That is a carnal expression. So whenever I use this term now, fleshly or carnal, don't just think, Blatant fleshly sins. Don't just think addictive sins, drug abuse or alcohol abuse or sexually related sin. Carnality is a very, very broad topic. The focus of our present study is this. If you're that way inclined, the carnal man finds these expressions and he bends them through his body. So, flesh, this is involved. The preoccupation is with the outer personal satisfaction, selfish indulgence, etc. All of those things. That has a serious impact upon your soul. You have your spirit, your soul, and your body. Spiritual words must be received by your spirit for them to make sense. Your spirit, which is enlightened by the word of the Lord, 
must lead and configure, influence your soul to obey the word of the Lord. But if on this other hand you are fleshly wired, fleshly focused, Galatians describes it like this, the flesh lusts or fights the spirit. There's war on two parts and they're fighting for occupancy of the soul. If you regard in, in terms of your soul in the middle of these two extremes, that domain of the flesh and the domain of the spirit is fighting for dominance of the soul. Now, the focus of our present study is this. If you, are, if you give vent and you create opportunity for carnality, it has an adverse effect upon your soul in that your soul, become, it wars against your soul. James or Peter describes it like this. The flesh wars against the soul. Right? The flesh wars against the soul. Galatians describes it like this. The flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit wars against the soul. So that you would not do the things that you, you want. Okay? The, the effect on Lot's viewing of sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion. He was in Sodom. Right? So sodomy and, and the, the culture of Sodom was overt sexual perversion. How was Lot's soul affected? Because he lived in that city. The Bible says clearly the soul, not the spirit, the soul of Lot was tormented by what he saw. He might not be, have overtly been involved in homosexuality, for which Sodom was known. But he saw, obviously, these kinds of acts. He saw it. And the Bible says not only did he see it, but he also heard. His soul was tormented by what he saw and what he heard. Okay? Remember in Sunday school we used to sing, Be careful little eyes what you see. So be careful what you allow your eyes to view. And I cautioned you, even in terms of television watching or, or certain um, websites, don't view what is abhorrent to God. If God abhors and hates something... You can't derive entertainment value from something that God hates. Right? Don't derive entertainment value from something that God hates. Why? It might be innocent to you. You might be saying just a casual fleeting look. Right? But the spiritual impact is it torments, it vexes your soul. I think of it like this. It disempowers it in, in two ways. One way is it, it it pulverizes the soul into more greater yieldedness to further works of the flesh. And also, it disempowers the soul to willingly follow the dictates of the, of the spirit. Right? To tell you that, but it's not innocent. Also, let me just say this. Don't have a second look. Tell you never don't have a second look. You know why? There's a, there's a short statement made in the Gospels by our Lord Jesus Christ. He said three words, or four. Remember, three words, remember Lot's wife. The Lord Jesus said those words. He says, chaps, remember Lot's wife. What did she do? Grace and the mercy of God upon this family, Lot, his wife, and his daughters. His sons did not believe the word of the Lord, remember? Yes, yes, a frightening revelation. The two daughters were married, right, to, to men. 
in, from Sodom. When the angel of the Lord came to warn the family, get out of this, this filth, get out of this filthy location, grace of God comes. So, and the Bible says, Lot tells them, but it seemed to the young men as though Lot was jesting. Here comes a serious word to you, but because your soul is so pulverized and so negatively impacted by the environment that you've allowed, even a serious word, you fob off. Right? So spiritual words come to you, and I've seen it happen in life. I've seen it happen so many times. I've seen how that serious word comes, and people would simply disesteem it, not important, non-issue, don't have to subject ourselves to that. And I see um, it simply because of the, the, the accommodation of the flesh that they've given into their lives. This is warfare. Tell your war. The Bible will not use the term war if it wasn't serious. It says the flesh wars. Right? The Greek word implies, listen carefully, the deliberate organization to prevent apostolic work. Go study it. To prevent the execution of the will of the Lord. This is war, right? This is the true warfare. If ever we need to declare state of emergency, it is now in the kingdom. Because the church is becoming far too fleshly oriented. Right? And let me just say this. They, this a host of scriptures we read, not this week, Friday, the two, two Fridays ago, a bunch of scriptures we read where it says, they that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom. Therefore, he who thinks he stands must take heed lest he falls. Don't be deceived to think that you are fine. Your family is fine. You're serving God. You're coming to church. You're part of this household. You're having lovely times of worship under the sound of, of, of good word. And you're not dealing with the flesh. You can be deceiving yourself into thinking, I'm fine. I'm going to access my spiritual inheritance when you will not. Right? This is serious, serious business. Lot's wife, upon the exodus, the young men did not listen to Lot. And as they journeyed with their two daughters, the Bible says, Lot's wife turned and she, the instruction was, you leave and you don't look. Don't even look back. Right? You see, the allurement of Sodom was so enticing that the effect was felt on Lot's closest association, his wife. The closest person to him, his wife. The Bible says, you know, the, 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 the inclination just to have one fleeting look one last behold cost her a life dearly. She turned into a pillar of salt. Where does Lot end? He goes and he dwells in a cave. Remember he chose the best land in Genesis? The large land, well watered everywhere, from largeness, from blessing. He now ends up in some small cave. He goes from blessedness to impoverishment. Simply because he never learned the lesson. If anyone, I think, in Scripture was positioned to come into huge blessing, it would have been Lot. He was right next to Abraham. And the Bible calls Abraham the father of faith. He was right next to a man that was building the principle of faith in the earth. He was right next to a man that embodied the principle of fathering. Yet he forsook all of that and it cost him dearly, Simply because he failed to take this caution. 
If you position, the Bible says, he pitched his tent towards Sodom. If you position yourself towards these things, you will lose significant aspects of your destiny and your inheritance in God. I would encourage all of you, next time you're tempted with the flesh, think before you do. Think seriously of what is potentially at loss. What will I potentially lose if I submit to this thing? Esau, I'm hungry. No problem. I sell my birthright just for one bowl of soup. I, I, I negotiate. One momentary satisfaction of my flesh can cost me a lifetime of spiritual blessing. Right? And so this is extremely serious. And do you know what, how the book of Hebrews describes Esau? The Bible says Esau, the fornicator. Esau was wrecked by fleshly obsessions. Right? Esau, the fornicator. And you know what the Bible says? He failed the grace of God. And bitterness crept into his heart. One act of fleshly sin opens the sluice gates for others to come in. And I really want to encourage us. Um, you know, when I come into this house and I want to sense cleanness, I want to sense purity. I want to sense no carnality. I want, to, I want to pick up the smell of my spirit. I want to sense no one is deliberately involved in overt fleshly sin. But there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a vigilance, there's a purity about the house. Amen? That is what we're heading towards. The spiritual man must become a spiritual house. Peter says, you are built up in him a spiritual house, a pneumatic house, a house of the spirit. Spiritual men build spiritual houses. And this is the platform. This house must not reek or smell of the flesh. This house must not be natural, soulish in its DNA. People governed by whims and emotions. You up, down. We don't know where to place you. We don't know how to greet you. We don't know how, where are you at Simply because you subjected yourself to the ebbs and flows of your emotions. Tell your neighbor, it's time to grow up. Time to grow up. Otherwise, God will wait for this generation to die and work with a whole brand new, raise up somebody, a, a, a new group of people that will truly embody all of his expectations. But I want to be among the group, don't you? That overcome these things, Amen. What we're going to focus on this morning is teach you how to overcome the flesh. Amen? Teach you how to overcome carnality. I'm not going to rehearse what we did on Friday because I don't want to get into just to continue upon that. But essentially, I've reworked the notes and reprinted them. We've discussed page one, the whole of page one, the whole of page two. Just, just work with me as you go in your notes. The whole of page three. Uh, as Kerry alluded to, we discussed the effect of the rabble. Everyone say the rabble. The rabble was a heterogeneous mixed group of people that accompanied Israel as they exited Egypt out of bondage. They were non-Israelites. They were like a mixed group. Right? And they, they, they were responsible for inciting Israel with fleshly desires in the wilderness. The sad thing is this. Listen carefully. Let me explain this quickly, the leanness of the soul again. The leanness of the soul, Psalm 106 describes the resultant effect upon Israel's fleshly pursuits. Those fleshly desires were incited by the mixed 
multitude or the, or the rabble. Okay? And the Bible says they, they soon forgot his works. They sang his praise, but they soon forgot his works. Um, and they lusted in the wilderness. Semicolon, God gave them their desires, but he sent leaners to their soul. So when you lust, listen carefully, even in Romans, you must read Romans 1 today at some time. Even in Romans 1, it speaks about the degradation of mankind, right? It speaks about homosexuality and lesbianism. It speaks about how men give up natural affection for women, and women likewise also, it says. And it says they do things which are unseemly, right? Not kosher, not acceptable. For when they knew God, I'm just quoting, for when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, but their, 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 their hearts became darkened, and neither were they thankful. So your soul, your whole life becomes darkened, and you even develop ingratitude. Right? You see the slow degradation of mankind. You know what the Bible says? And God gave them up to their desires. God is saying, okay, is that the way you want to go? And I hear the warning of the Lord even to us this morning. God is saying, no problem. If that's, if that's what you want, then God, you never ever want to get to this place where God stands back and say, if that's your pursuit, go for it. What you must do, do properly. The Bible says, he that is filthy, be filthy still. But he that is holy, be holy still. God is saying, I give you up to your desires, but it says, he sends leanness. Lean is to shrink, is to make skimpy, is to waste away. Leanness to the smallness to the soul. And I said to you, it's called muscular, is it atrophy when a muscle atrophies? Atrophy. Atri. Right? Okay, when the muscle atrophies or atrophies, it, it loses mass, it loses density. And when uh, it's not used, so the guy gets smaller and smaller, for, ex for example, through malnutrition. But an, uh, when, when the muscle wastes away, it loses force, it loses strength, hence loses functionality. That's the, the typical description of leanness. But it's leanness of the soul. Your soul loses force, strength, and particularly it loses its proper placement and function. So you become small. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your... Your soul is a mind, a will, and emotions, like the spirit does, have those three components. Right? So let me just, just quickly, uh, something we will explore later. Let me just throw it in here now. Did you know what, when God came to, to King Solomon, and King God asked Solomon, ask me anything, I'll, I'll give it to you. What did he ask for? What did he ask for? Wisdom. One of the versions of the Bible describes how God gave Solomon wisdom. The Bible says, And God filled Solomon's heart with wisdom, and the Lord God gave him breath of mind. He was the most intelligent, cleverest man on the planet. There was not one wiser than him. There's nothing, no, no, no topic no area of study on the whole planet that Solomon did not have a word on and an accurate assessment of. Right? Talk about breaking the limitations of your intellect. And the Bible says the Lord filled his heart with wisdom and gave him breath. Everyone do this. Breath. Breath 
of mind. But when your soul becomes lean, even your mental capacity shrinks. Your ability to receive the big things of God will be reduced. God will speak profound things. You will sit there. Things will be going over your head. Too, too hard for me. Too difficult to understand. Too lofty. Why? The soul has become lean. Amen? But you know what David said? He restores my soul. Amen? The, the lean soul can be restored. And I'm on a path. I said, God, I want breath of mind. I want my spiritual intelligence, even my natural intelligence, to grow. All the young people stand quickly. All the young people stand quickly. All of you, and the little ones. Cheris, Ray, stand quickly. All the small kids stand. Just lift your hands to the Lord quickly. Lift your hands to the Lord. Amen. I really want to encourage all of you. And this is not just for the young people or the adults as well. I'm just focusing on these, these right now because they have a long way to go. <laughs> right? Did you know, all of you young people, you can have an intelligence way, way beyond what is naturally possible. And let me just declare a word over all of you now. I, I want to declare something over you. You can have a brain and experience the fullness of your brain capacity that is way, way beyond what you've ever experienced up to this point. And I believe this morning God wants to give you. You see, intelligence is not only something natural. Something, yes, you can improve your intelligence through your, 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 your study, your diligence, your hard work. All of these things are important. But I just sense this morning, you see, Solomon had this infusion of grace. And it gave him, the Bible says, breath of mind. There was no area he did not have the capacity to speak the mind of God into. Amen. And I want to pray quickly before we continue over you. That the Lord, your soul, I declare over you young people. Your soul will not shrink. Your soul will not become lean. Everything that God has for you, you will have the capacity to receive the fullness of it. Lift your hands to the Lord quickly. Amen. Just lift your hands to Him. Father, we just pray for our young people. We ask in Jesus' name that you would impregnate their minds even now with grace and wisdom that only comes from your hand. Like you gave Solomon request of his heart, I pray in Jesus' name, let our young people grow up with such breadth of mind, such capacity of soul, that nothing would be impossible to them. And so we break even now, Father, the tempter's attempts, the accuser of the brother's attempts, to trip them up in the area of their flesh that would impact negatively the state of their soul. And we take authority over these things. In Jesus' name, we set them aside, preserve them for your purposes and for your plans. In the name of Jesus. Not just for them, Father, but even for all of us present here this morning. I ask that our souls be fully restored. We break all leanness. We pray for total renewal of our minds. In Jesus' name, Amen. Come on, say it again. Breath of mind. Okay, a lot of detour there, but maybe by the Spirit. Okay, really seems the low. You know, right now, I'm thinking, there's nothing I don't understand. Nothing is too difficult for me now. That's my mindset. But a whole heart, even in natural things, 
I, 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 I want to experience Adam's brain before the fall. You know what Adam had the capacity to do? Think of biology. Think of our, just the plant life, botany. Think of how many species of plants are there and subspecies. Did you know Adam named all classes of things? He was able to look at things. God said to him, you go for it. Able to categorize them in various categories. Just this botany, just the plant domain is one kingdom. He did this with every other domain. Right? Brilliant mind, brilliant man. Amen? Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor you're a brain box. Not a box, a brain box. Some of you left the word brain out. <laughs> okay. right? I want to encourage you. You can come to a particular... You know, not only natural things. My main concern is spiritual intelligence. With the things that God has for us, we can know and we can speak the mind of God on any issue. Amen? So do not allow the rabble. The rabble is the mixed multitude. The ones that weave into your life and they incite fleshly desires within you. Watch your company. Watch your company. So just in that respect, on page 5, I put a verse in, right at the bottom. Right? Look at the center of the page where it's first it says, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful lusts, or youthful passions, and pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, and peace with who? Now, underline the word with those. Often we, we, we focus on what is to be pursued. He says, flee youthful lust and pursue all these things. But you pursue those things with the particular quality or caliber of people. It says, with those, with the kind of bruise, the kind of company that have the same pursuit as you. The Bible says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Amos 3.3, no. And like I explained... Um, what that word, what that scripture means in the original Hebrew is, can two walk together unless they agreed upon what? The same destination. That is the literal Hebrew rendering of Amos 3.3. In fact, some versions of the Bible actually say that. Two can't walk together unless they're going to the same place. Your destination has got to be similar for you to walk with somebody. Right? So don't walk with rabble. Don't walk with a mixed multitude because they have a different objective. Right? When you're planning to come to a Bible study, they're planning to hit the, the streets. Right? You're giving forethought to spiritual things. Their plans are walking. They're even, they're even planning ahead to satisfy the flesh. You can't walk together with that person. Purge your relationships. Right? Purge your relationships. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 18. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? What has a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What we, for we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and... Walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst of them or their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you. You will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 
Notice God wants to father us. Right? Now, do you know there was no chapter divisions in the Bible before it was systematized in the way we have it now? Before it was just a book like to the Corinthians, Paul didn't say 1 Corinthians chapter 1, number 1, let me tell you this. He just wrote it. It was a long, uninterrupted letter. Theologians in time have put it into chapters and verses just to make more easier sense and to help us to, to study it and to work through it. So you've got to read that last statement into chapter 7. I've got 2 Corinthians chapter 7 there. Let's read. So, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Watch your company, right? Watch your company. Uh, believers have no, nothing in common with unbelievers, right? So be careful of, of fleshly attachments. And God says, he says, come out from the midst of them and be distinct. Tell your neighbor you are distinct. You are separate. There's some, you have a distinctive about you. You're not of this world. So don't be classed together with them. Come out from among them. And why does God say that? God says, I want to be a father to you. You will be my sons. So carry on reading like there's no chapter divisions. Therefore, everyone say therefore. In the light of what I've just said, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us do what? Cleanse ourselves from all defilement of what? Now, I'll talk about this at the next study. There's something called, not only the defilement of flesh, there's something called, come back here now to the spirit domain, there's something called the defilement of a man's spirit. Now, you don't want to get there. right? So he says, your company, listen carefully, that's why the issue of who you hang out with is so important. You, it's possible for you to get to the place where not only are you wrecked by fleshly concerns, but and the state of your soul is lean, pulverized, wasting away, even your very caliber, context, fabric of your spirit can become defiled. I don't know if you've ever met a person with a defiled spirit. I can spell it a mile away. It's like something, you, you, you even discern it. This guy got a filthy, he, he's not just struggling with the flesh. The whole spirit now has become polluted. Right? And, and, and the, whole, the whole focus is Fleshly satisfaction. Right? Now what does Paul say? Okay, separate unbelievers and believers. He says, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. Tell them to cleanse yourself. Personal responsibility. No one's going to do this but you. Let us cleanse ourselves, it says, from all defilement. Not some defilement. From all defilement of what? Of flesh and of spirit perfecting holiness in the in the fear of god why would paul speak about defilement he's just speaking about accurate company and he goes straight into the impact straight into the potential result defilement okay so he who walks with the wise it says shall be wise he who walks with the defiled shall be defiled there's another verse that says good company, or rather bad company, corrupts good character. Right? Don't be defiled. Don't think you're going to come off unaffected. Don't think you're going to come off not affected. It will impact your soul, and you've got to be aware of that. You can look at Revelation 14 in your own time. Go to page 6. 
let's, let's start discussing ways to overcome. Right? Now just high-five your neighbor and say, we shall overcome. We shall overcome, amen? We shall overcome. It's not all bad news. Yeah, we're here to give you hope. We can rise above all of these things, amen? We can rise above all of these things and start to live an overcoming life in the Lord. The first key I want to give you is grace, right? You can overcome carnality by grace. Grace imparted to your spirit causes you to live successfully in it. And so you can deny ungodliness. Now I put a little note there. Remember all of Paul's apostolic valedictions in Galatians 6, Philemon 1, and 2 Timothy 4. Remember? He said, grace be with your spirit. So by spirit is the place where grace is received. He did not say grace be with your soul. He says grace be with your spirit. How does grace... Now, just grace is a huge, huge topic. But just quickly, um, grace is defined as many things. It's not simply unmerited favor. When God gives you grace, God gives you empowerment to be His Son and to do His work. Grace makes you who you are and causes you to do what God wants you to do. Grace configures your identity and your destiny, who you are and what you must do. Right? So when you receive grace, you have the capacity or the empowerment to be the Son of God and also the ability to do God's will. You've got to be full of grace to be a Son of God and you've got to be full of grace to do God's will. I'm saying to you, how does that grace come, by the way? Grace comes by the Word of God. We all know this. Whenever you receive Word, you receive grace, right? Grace comes to you through the, the Word of the Lord. Now, what I'm saying is that if your spirit is full of grace, you, when in your body, you are faced with temptations in the flesh. The brews say, let's go hang out here, right? You are not left with an advantage. You're not left empowered to face that kind of thing. You're left, you're not left disempowered, you're left empowered to deal with that temptation. It's like, take two young people, right? And they're faced with the same temptation. The one full of grace has got an advantage over the one not with no grace. Let me just say this. We're not saying snatch you out of the world. That'll be the easiest, not so. Take you out of the world so you don't face any temptation. But you, you are going to face them. So what we are saying is be empowered when you do face them. The one key is be filled with grace. There's a beautiful verse in Titus. It says this, one of my favorite verses. In reference to grace causing you to overcome ungodliness. For the grace of God, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared. Bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. So, repeat after me. The grace of God instructs me to deny ungodliness. Say this again. The grace of God instructs me to deny worldly desires. I say this, the grace of God instructs me to live sensibly. Say this, the grace of God instructs me to live righteously. Last one, the grace of God instructs me to live godly.
That's all verse 12. Instructing us to deny ungodliness, instructing us to deny worldly desires, instructing us to live sensibly, instructing us to live righteously, instructing us to live godly way in this present age. Let me just say this categorically. If you say that I have grace, that grace must instruct you to say no to ungodliness. The claim to grace is no claim at all if that grace doesn't empower you to say no to sin. Don't say you got grace when you are faced with a temptation and you can't overcome it. The Bible says grace in you does what to you? It empowers you, it instructs you to say no to ungodliness. Right? It's not you can't do it in your own strength, it's the grace of God in you. Okay? So uh, Joseph can war off Potiphar's um, moves for him, for, for him to sleep with her. Right? Why? He's full of grace. Right? He's full of grace. You can neglect the temptation to steal from your work. Theft. Why? You're full of grace. You can neglect the temptation to lie about someone. Why? Grace empowers and no. Right? I have something in me called the nature of God, the grace of God in me. I say no to that. Huh? Notice instructs. The word in the Greek is paiodo, which means to train children, suggesting the broad idea of education. Tell your neighbor, grace educates you. Grace educates you. Who's thankful for the grace of God? Do you know what? If you didn't have the quality of grace that you do have, we would all have been in trouble by now. It's the grace of God that teaches us to live righteously. To live like kings in the world. Let me just say this. No one is above temptation. It's, it stares us in the face almost daily. But because we work and we walk in this life as graceful people, right? We have an edge over others that are not possessed by this grace. Right? Possessed by this grace. The verb instructs has altered the meaning to chastise with blows and to scourge. Right? It speaks about subjecting yourself in discipline. So you live a kingly lifestyle. Right? And it says it's able to bring salvation. Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to, to all men. The word sensibly, where it says... Um, the grace of God instructs us to live sensibly. It means with a sound, with a sound mind, with a sober mind, or moderately. Now, before we continue with that, go to the top of the page. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul makes a powerful statement. I love the statement of Paul. He says the following, For our proud confidence is this. The testimony of our conscience that in holiness and in godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God. It won't say in the grace. In the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, especially towards you, Corinthians. I love this verse, eh? Isn't it a powerful verse? Don't you love the Bible? I just love the Bible sometimes for the way it says things. I, I get fascinated with the totality of the scriptures. 
And I love the way this verse is phrased. It says, Paul says, if I have any boasting, my confidence, my testimony is this. He says, in holiness, in godly sincerity, holiness, in godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, I have conducted myself toward you. Paul says, the moment I go out of grace, I'm prone to fleshly things. I'm prone, prone to unholiness. I'm prone to insincerity. But as long as I conduct myself in grace, I'm not prone to fall in those areas. Right? So, but also, in this verse, I put it in bold there, the claim to function in grace is a claim to function in purity and holiness. Not so? Purity and, and holiness. And, and I put, just to complete that, purity and holiness is the context that not just maintains the grace of God received, but also positions the recipient of this grace as a candidate for the receipt of more grace. Hmm? So when you have grace, you live holy, not so? You say, it instructs me to deny ungodliness. But that holiness, that righteous lifestyle, then becomes the basis upon which God gives you more grace. This is Psalm 84, verse 11, I think. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. Everyone say, He gives grace. The next part of the verse is, No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. So when you upright, when your walk is upright, God somehow just showers you with more grace. Grace teaches you to walk uprightly. And when you maintain it, more grace comes on that platform. Right? And so you grow from grace to grace. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Amen? So the grace of God teaches us, say it again, live sensibly. Live sensibly in this world. So from us is the Greek, a sound mind, rationally, with a sober mind. One who is not sober is what? What's the opposite of sober? Drunk, okay, in natural terms. The drunk man is senseless, not so? He has no bearings. Cannot think coherently, intelligibly. Right? Cannot make sense of his environment. He acts irrationally. He acts stupidly. Right? But to have a sober person. The word sober also alludes to being well-balanced mentally. No one can easily topple you. You are sober. Have you ever seen a person vexed by a particular trial where it brings disorientation to the mind? Even, even sometimes the way the person walks, you know, not drunk per se from alcohol, but just there, you see a person like racked with anxiety. It's like you can see the mental state of the person. It doesn't manifest in the way they conduct themselves in their physical body. But a sober person is a together person, well-balanced, focused, in charge of things, right? Who would, would like that? You know what you know will get you there? Grace. That's why who needs more grace? I will never miss one of our more sessions for as long as I live until Jesus comes. Why do I go? Why do I prioritize that? Why will I reshuffle my whole schedule to be there? What I realize, where I am going in the Lord and the kinds of temptations that are going to flood my mind, something that I need is going to cause me to overcome. It's called the grace of God. And unfortunately, the grace of God primarily comes through the word of God. Into your spirit. Grace be with your spirit. A man's spirit full of grace is the most untouchable man on the planet. Hey? Tell your neighbor, I'm graceful. 
Those who are graceless will be disgraced. Because your life will end in a place not where God has determined for you. And if you've messed up, there is grace for forgiveness. Let me just say this also. God is, God is faithful. God is merciful to forgive you. And I have a sense that even this morning, there's the mercy of God afforded to us. Today, we're going to make decisions and say, God, for the years that are ahead for my life, I want to be a man full of grace. Amen? I want to be a woman full of grace. Families, husbands and wives, make sure your marriage is full of grace. You know why? Peter says, Husbands, live considerately. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, live considerately with your wives as the weaker vessels. Right? Knowing that the two of you are what? Joint heirs of the grace of life. Lest your prayers be hindered. Marriage is dangerous. can hinder your prayers. Please, I'm not discouraging everyone getting married. Get married. All I'm saying is when you do, Peter says there's a potential in marriage for prayers to become hindered if the husband lives in a, in a disconsiderate way with a wife understanding her makeup as the weaker vessel. In fact, some versions say, the King James says, husbands live with understanding in reference to your wife. Why? Because she with you is a joint heir of grace of life. I can access grace as Randolph. Renee can access grace as Renee. Separately as individuals, married couples can access grace by how we apply ourselves. For example, if I am humble, God gives me grace. He gives grace to the humble. If Renee is proud as a person, she, I must say she's proud, I'm using an example, she blocks off grace to her. If I am lavish in my giving, guess what? That's another way of giving, giving more grace. We receive grace. Right? Um, and, and let's say if she is withholding in her heart, she blocks off grace. The point I want to make is each is responsible for grace allocation of reception based upon our individual obedience. But there is a place in marriage for the accessing of grace, not independently, but as joint people. It says, Peter says, uh, together we are fellow. He uses the word fellow partakers, joint partakers of the grace of life in, in Christ. I, I'm just, no, I'm saying not part of our study, but listen carefully. I just think that in our homes there needs to be a quality of grace like we've never known before. And I prophesy to us, there's a level of grace coming to the households, the family units that's going to be accessed because of the absolute oneness within the marriage between the husband and the wife. And you together will access grace of Zoe, life. Everyone say life. life. Come on, say it like you're living. Life. life. Huh? Not death, not things going wrong. Life. The abundant life of God filling your home. When I come into your homes, I want to discern there's grace here. You know, one thing about a home, you can be living in a jondola. You can be living in a hut. But if I walk in there, you might not have the finest of things. But I train myself, what I want to see in a home is not so much fineries of material wealth. What I want to pick up in my spirit is they may not have much materially, but the grace of God is flowing here. Right? I want to discern grace. Amen? 
So tell your neighbor, have a graceful house. You see, graceful spirits must translate into graceful houses. Graceful houses. Wouldn't it be powerful to raise your kids in an environment of grace? Eh? The power of God flowing in your home. Those kids grow up with this idea. Mom and dad, in their relationship, access jointly, grace. I just love this phrase. I don't know why I'm camping here. Say it with me, grace of life. It's only found in one place in Peter that I know of. Maybe wrong. Right? In all my studying on the word grace, it says grace of life. Accessing the life of God can come to you. And so no attempt of sin and godliness. I, I don't know why. I just feel we need to take a rootless stand against every kind of fleshly interruption in grace. Put, if I would say, heads of households, all husbands here, go over the top if you have to. Insist upon certain things. Say, no flesh will predominate here. Grace will flood this place. I deny ungodliness by my grace content. You're not making a statement as a resolve in your flesh. You're not not like hurting your willpower. You're saying, I'm insisting. No, you're saying, I stand up as a husband full of grace. And I put an end to any kind of worldly desire, it says, or ungodliness. This home will be characterized by grace. You know why? Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. Right? So we say, no! The guy who is graceless says, oh, let's just give it a try. Maybe it's not too, in it, not too, not too harmful. You accommodate certain things. But the guy full of grace says, I am instructed no to that thing. No to ungodliness. Amen? So grace instructs us. Turn over the, the page. To live sensibly. Tell your neighbor again, live sensibly. Live sensibly. Don't live disorientedly. Live focused. Don't forever be a victim of circumstances. Master your circumstances. Don't forever let your your excuse be, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right? That's hogwash. Wrong place at the wrong time. Even if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, you are empowered to deal with it. Amen? You are empowered to overcome it. I will talk to you uh, shortly about fleeing youthful lusts. But let me just follow the note here quickly. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. This is akin to what Titus has just said. The grace of God teaches us to live sensibly, to deny ungodliness, and to deny worldly desires. The New American Standard Bible says, For God has not given us the spirit of Timidity. Please just write this. Uh, okay, so where King James uses the word fear, the New American Bible says timidity. Right? Tell your neighbor, I'm not timid. Peter, Paul was writing to timid Timothy. He says, Timothy, wake up, bro. I know you're my son in the Lord, but destiny that God has for you is going to require no fear. I feel like we must put a, 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 make up a poster. Just no fear. Put it at the back of the bottle. <laughs> so whoever goes to use the toilet will see that no fear. I'm just saying. See it constantly. 
We all have to go there some stage in the day or the other. So it's a nice place to, to be reminded, no fear. Especially for the kids. Eh? Jaden, say no fear. No timidity. Say I fright for nothing. Amen. It's not, we're not being arrogant. It's not arrogant. You're saying, I want to live in the life where I'm not subjected to any kind of fear. Right? But it says, because God has not given us the spirit. Now, say with me, spirit of fear. But he's given us what? So love is spirit of love, spirit of power, and there's something called spirit of a sound mind. That's why Paul in Ephesians, I've got it in your notes, Paul in Ephesians says, Ephesians 4.23, be renewed in what? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So let's reread 2 Timothy 1.7, just go to the top. Um, read it like this. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but you can read it, but He's given us the spirit of power, the spirit of love, and the spirit of a sound mind. Huh? You can read it like that. So tell your neighbor, I have the spirit of a sound mind. I have the spirit of a sound mind. Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And that verse, like I said in your note, is couched between two commandments. To live righteously or in holiness in Ephesians 4.25. And then the previous verse in verse 22 says, Paul says we must not be corrupted by the lust of deceit. So in 22, for Ephesians 4.22 he says, don't be corrupted by the lust of, of deceit. In verse 25 he says, live righteously in holiness. And smack bang in the middle of these two commands to live holy lives, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your in the spirit of your mind. And like I've said, just quickly, a sound mind, the Greek word is sophrinosomos. Mm, hectic, eh? Sophrinosomos. Sound mind. It means I am, as the, the meaning they write at the top, I am disciplined. I am self-controlled. Here's a big one. Self-control. Control what you do. Um, don't say, oh, I said it, I didn't mean it. No, you control even what you say. You know, I realize now, the restored soul is the most powerful thing. Imagine you control of every one of your words, every one of your actions. You are, this is what the Bible says, He's given us a sound, a sophrinous mind. My mind, tell your neighbor, my mind is disciplined. I don't allow it to wander. Come on, repeat after me. I don't allow my mind to wander. Tell you, but my mind is sober. Say, my mind is well balanced. Say, my mind is self-controlled. I really want to encourage you. This is what we need. Grace does all of this for us. Right? To live sensibly with a sound mind. It's the spirit of a sound mind. The last paragraph in that section. Grace teaches us to live sensibly, with soberness, seriousness, soundness of mind, and moderation. The opposite of this is to live righteously, prodigally, with prodigal son, disorderly. Grace brings dignity to your life, and you start to live a disciplined, kingly lifestyle. 
Amen? Next key, obedience. Walking in the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 12 and 13. So then, brothers or brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we mortify? Mortify is to put to death. How do we mortify or put to death the deeds of the body or the flesh? It says you do it by the Spirit. Everyone say by the Spirit. Everyone say by grace. Say by the Spirit. You know what? You can't do these things in your own strength. You're going to need divine aid. Grace in you. And it says, I can do it by the Spirit. Look at Galatians 5. Please read these, these verses carefully. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another, so that you might not do the things as you please. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. So in verse 19 and 20, he starts to list some expressions of carnality. The deeds of the flesh are the following. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, fights or enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, carousing is loud parties, and the things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the, not inherit the kingdom of God. But, and I remember I was talking about the word but, but introduces a whole new area of function. So that domain will not inherit, but the fruit of the Spirit, Kerry read this morning, the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we crucify the flesh. Paul says, I die daily. He says, daily take up your cross. Uh, let me just say, you can't say, I'm dead, I don't need to die tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> Uh, tomorrow you have to die daily. It's a decision you're going to have to make every moment of the day. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and envying, and envying one another. Now, let me explain this. Listen to me. Everyone say, walk in the Spirit. So Paul is saying, you have these works of the flesh which in Romans he said we must put to death by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And they that are led by the Spirit have crucified the deeds of the flesh. And he talks about dying daily. So walking by the Spirit is a key to overcoming the, the flesh. What does it mean? Very simply. Walking by the Spirit 
simply means obedience to the word of God. Please get that in your spirit. Just obey the word of God. There's nothing more to walking in the spirit than just that. It's a lifestyle of obedience to the, to the, word, um, to the word of the Lord. Okay? Works of the flesh or deeds of the body are mortified or put to death by the power of the Spirit in you. This requires cooperation between you and the Holy Spirit. Let me just say this. The moment you decide it's a decision and a position that you must come to within yourself. The moment you decide, I'm going to make a decision to live holy for God. I want to make sure that carnality will not be the feature of my life. The moment you make that decision, the Holy Spirit kicks in to come alongside you and to assist you. You're going to make the initiative and the Holy Spirit will respond. If you've got no desire, you deactivate the work of the Spirit. The moment you say, I position myself, the Spirit, which is the Paracletos, He comes alongside you to aid you. He comes in to assist your overcoming. The more you obey, the more you become M. Powered by the Spirit. Okay? So, uh, look at the following portions of Scripture. Acts 5 verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. Now let me just say this. You all have the Holy Ghost. The indwelling, abiding Spirit of God, because you are sons of God, he gives you the capacity to cry, Abba, Father. Beyond that, you need to be baptized in the Spirit's power. And you start to speak in tongues. Right? So both the indwelling Spirit and the baptism in the Spirit are crucial for the Holy Spirit to empower you to overcome, to overcome the flesh. But once you're in that vein, let me just say this to you. You activate the Spirit's potential in you and the fullness of His work. By perpetual acts of obedience. Acts 5 verse 32 is not so often preached about in Holy Spirit sermons. Read it and make it your own, please. Acts 5 32 must become a favorite of yours. It says, The Holy Spirit to whom God has given to those that obey Him. It's like every act of obedience activates the power of the Spirit in you to maintain and sustain your victory over the flesh in a particular domain. I'm discovering now, the more I'm obedient, I can sense the Spirit's enabling. I can feel I'm empowered. Amen? Um, you can put me in a room with 100 women, enticing women, and I'll come up un unclean. I'll come up no, what did I say? Wrong thing. I will come out unspotted, undiluted. Not having healed it. Why? It's not a boast I'm making. I just know it. Why? I know I have the resource, grace content, to say no to ungodliness. I have the grace. I have the spirit in me, right? That empowers me to overcome the works of the flesh. If you have a money problem and they put 10 million rand in front of you, and there's opportunity to clean it out without a trace that will ever be, you will ever be known that you were the one. Will you? Say, no, I realize the temptation, but no. 
No, 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 no. Grace and the power. Let me just say this. Having walked away obediently from that act, guess what you've done? You've just activated another dimension of the Spirit's work within you. He gives His Spirit to them that obey Him. Amen? This is powerful. And the more you obey, the more Spirit presence, power, effective working in you will be yours. Amen? 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 1 verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. To do what? Come on, say it louder. To oh, what is the point of the sanctifying work of the Spirit in you? It is so that you obey. If you have the Spirit in you, you can obey. The end result, the ultimate is always obedience. Walking in the Spirit. Keegan, what is walking in the Spirit? Obedience. To, for me to walk in the Spirit is to, o, is to obey. Now look at Ezekiel. Renee shared this verse, and when she shared it, and I read a, a word thought, the Lord really ministered this to me, and I decided to put these thoughts into the note. Ezekiel 2, verse 1 and 2. He said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, that I may speak with you. As, everyone say as, you should circle the word as. As is a process. As tells me, it says, as he spoke, the Spirit entered. As he spoke, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And then I heard further thoughts, further words. And then I heard him speak to me. Let's reread this. I'll, I'll stop with this verse. Listen carefully of time. Ezekiel 2 verse 1 and 2. Read it again. And please, brethren, as we read it again, Allow your spirit to be imbued with grace. The revelation of the scripture is powerful. He, God said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. Let's just stop there. What does stand denote? What is the symbolic indications of stand? Posture, right? So vigilance. If you are sitting or lying down, I say, stand. I want to talk with you. Stand means... Stand so that you can comprehend what I'm saying. Stand so that you can give estimation and priority to what I'm saying. Stand so that you become vigilant. Stand so that you can receive. Right? Stand. Everyone say stand. So what is the requirement before God speaks? Change your posture. Now, this is a prophetic statement without. Everyone say to one another next to you, change your posture. Stand. You know why? If you... If you don't position yourself, don't expect God to say anything. Right? So stand, son of man. I want to talk with you. Right? I want to talk with you. And the Bible says, as he spoke with me. Now, as he spoke with me means, as the instruction to stand was given, in the process of the commandment given, the Spirit came alongside the Word. And the Bible says, the Spirit entered me and the spirit set me on my feet who was the instruction given to son of man but who did the job the spirit did the job who made the man stand the spirit entered him and the spirit made him to stand the point is ezekiel's willingness 
to stand activated the empowerment of the Spirit in him to cause him to stand. If there was no willingness on Ezekiel's part, the Spirit would not have entered him to cause him to stand. I often say every command of God releases with it grace to accomplish the fulfillment of that commandment. It's not all left to you. If God says to me, do not lie, do not um, uh, commit sexual promiscuity, do not steal, do not um, be unforgiving. Unforgiveness is a big thing. Eh? A lot of people can't forgive. Let me just say, don't rely on your own strength. Just say to yourself, God, if you're saying to me, forgive that brother, forgive that person, start off by saying, yes, I'm willing. And the moment you start to take the initial steps, guess what? He, the Spirit, will enter you and literally set you on your feet in reference to fulfilling that commandment. It's as He spoke to me, the Spirit enters. And the Spirit sets me on my feet. And the Bible says, and He started speaking. He started speaking with me. He started speaking with me. Galatians 6, 7, 6, 8, quickly. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. You see, it's all a matter of where you are sowing. Don't sow to the flesh, but sow to the Spirit. I'll talk more about that in two weeks' time. But the one who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap e eternal life. If you want a fleshly lifestyle, then let me just say this to you. Keep on sowing to the flesh. The sad thing is, the harvest is always greater than the seed sown. What you're going to have to deal with there afterwards is far more than the little thing you allowed. What is true in the natural, in the flesh, is also true of the spirit though. The little effort you put to sow in spiritual things, your harvest is also much more greater than the seed sown in the, in the spirit. Amen? Yesterday we went out and I couldn't, I was so, uh, we, we had to go shopping and do a few errands. Uh, we ministered to a poor family, etc. Just let us. I said to Renee, we're going to sow every day something. Right? Friday the Lord laid on my heart, have the cake, ask Jenny, please bake the best cake you ever had baked. We need to minister to the Duplessis family. Drove out there. It was a tremendous cost. I was finished. Um, it didn't been packed the way we prepared the notes for Isamia. You see, we were still stapling. It's a hectic day. And I wanted to, uh, in my mind, I said, so I, I had attended a meeting on Friday. It was a fairly morning pastor's meeting in, in, in Radio. And from there, I uh, went to Jenny, drove all the way back from that section of the world back to France, where I was already at the morning in the rail area. And I had to rush back, had this notes prepared, come back in the evening for the Easter in time, etc. At the back of my mind, I kept saying, hey, you know what, I can defer this trip to France, to, to Nathan's place, to maybe to Saturday, even Sunday, or maybe I'll do it next week. The moment I thought that in my mind, you know what I realized? The mind of the soul is saying, defer, defer, postpone, postpone. Then this, this, this scripture hit me. But he was souls to the Spirit. And the Lord said to me, Randolph, the sooner you do it, the sooner you position yourself for a harvest. Delayed sowing is delayed harvest. The more you, longer you wait to even uh, uh, do a thing, the longer you postpone your breakthrough. I'm not sowing for breakthrough. I'm just sowing to be obedient. And I, I sense the Lord just doing this, just doing this. 
um, the Lord laid it on our hearts yesterday to minister to a particular family. And likewise, with a hectic day, and uh, we, was, we even said, hey, must we, maybe we'll do it on Monday. He said, no, 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 let's just cost us, let's just change our schedule. Do it now. Let's get the job done. And do you know the blessedness of giving? The people are blessed to receive. But scripturally, the giver is far more blessed than the person who received. Who's ever been, who's felt good when you receive something? That's a good feeling. Eh? If I give you uh, a million rand now, Claire, how will you feel? Will you be sad? And, uh, right? We'll say, where's the party happening? <laughs> but the blessedness, as, as happy and as blessed as you feel having received something, there's no greater blessing than to give it. So listen carefully. So in the spirit. So we came back uh, yesterday and a uh, number of things. And you know what? I, I was so drawn to the word of the Lord. Went down to my office and started to study again. Just study the word and type and wait upon the Lord. And God shared such profound things, which I'll share in the weeks to come with me, just last night. What did I decide to do? I said, God, the next hour and a half, I have so much to do in the home. There's so much to do in the yard physically. In the practice. I said, I want to sow in this, but prioritize something. And you know what? I believe God just saw my, my desire. Look at this guy's positioning himself. He's standing to receive word. If he positions, the spirit kicks in and helps him. Amen? So I want to encourage you, cooperate with the spirit. I just sense in many of our lives, the spirit of the Lord wants to come alongside. And then empower your obedience in, in this world. Empower your obedience in a very, very, very powerful way. One last verse. One last verse and we'll close. Romans 8, 16. Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for all, obedience, that you are the slaves to the one that you obey? This is a very important verse. It says, if I present myself as a slave to someone to obey. I am the slave to whomever I obey. The thing you obey becomes your master and you become the slave. In other words, right? So it says, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Right? But thanks be to God that you were slaves to sin, but you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you com were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of, you became slaves of, of righteousness. So the more I obey the flesh, guess what rules? Remember I said to you, was it whose sin was crouching at whose door to master him? Cain. Remember Cain's offering was not accepted and his countenance fell. God said to him, Cain, if you do well, you will be accepted. Now sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to... Do what? Master you. Sin wants to become the master, you become the slave. Whatever it says, you just do. Right? Now Romans says, to whomever you submit in obedience, that thing becomes your master. Either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience. Please, in Romans 6.16, circle the word sin and circle the word obedience. Those are two masters. Right? Either you obey sin 
or you obey, as it were, obedience, which is obedience to the Lord, and that becomes the master in your life. So guess what when I'm tempted and I'm faced with temptation? uh, One of two things happen. Either the principle of obedience is going to drive me as a master, or the principle of sin is going to be a master in my life. And let me just say this to you. Whoever you obey, you empower. Whoever you obey, you empower. When I obey the flesh, I empower the flesh. When I obey the spirit, I walk in greater empowerment to overcome further and further. Amen? Isn't it, isn't it amazing? We can be live successfully in this world. Amen? And we've just discussed two keys so far. Well, we've discussed many in, in, in the previous studies. I'm just saying for now, for this purposes, be filled with grace. It'll teach you to deny ungodliness. Walk in the Spirit, which is simply obedience. Many other keys are discussed in the note. Please study. You can move ahead and of us and study. But when we come together in our next session, we'll explain some of the other keys. But start, if I were you, I would start to read and study and say, God, I want to get all these keys in place so that I become a spiritual man. Amen? I become a man of the, a man of the, of the Spirit. Amen? Put your notes away. Let's stand together and pray. Hallelujah. your hands to the Lord. Just look to Him, our strength. We can't do these things on our own. But since God's love and mercy is so amazing to us this morning, amen. So Father, we lift up our hands to You. We want to live these lives. Empowered by Your Spirit, empowered by Your grace. We want to bring purging to our company. Take away the rabble and the mixed multitude element. Those that are not walking to the same destination as we are. We ask, oh God, that we would overcome every vice, every temptation in the flesh. I thank you that the law of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for my freedom. Thank you for liberty. Come on, just lift your voice and thank God for the life that you have in God. Please, no one must feel condemned. God has forgiven us. God has freed us. From today, just... Start a new journey in the Lord. Thank God for the life. Thank God for His grace. Thank God for the Spirit. We are so grateful for the Holy Spirit that comes and empowers us and pushes us. Come on, just thank Him for breath of mind. Thank Him that your soul will not be lean, but you will have the ability to comprehend things difficult for normal men to comprehend. You are not of this world. You are God's Son in the earth. You are life-giving spirit, not a living soul. You are life-giving spirit. Spirit of God lives within you. Come on, declare that you are one spirit with His spirit. Thank you, God. My spirit is one with your spirit. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. Life of God flowing in and through us. Thank you, Father. We bless you for these things. We thank you for your empowerment. In Jesus' name, Amen.